Well, I trust that you have a Bible. If you brought one, that's good. If you didn't, we've got some scriptures on the screen. But if you have one at home that you just don't feel like bringing, bring it next week. Uh, because I'd love for you to see it in your Bible. That what we're, you know, you need to know that the Word of God is, is the thing that's got power in your life. It's the Holy Spirit that's our teacher. When you see it for yourself, you understand that uh, this is not a word that belongs to me. This is not the word of Jonathan. This is not the word of the word, church. This is the word of God. And when you have it in your Bible, you can see that and you can go, okay, uh, I'm going to go home and I'm going to read this a bit more. I'm going to study it. You know, I'm going I'm to see other places that talk about this, that you uh, begin to see it as something that God wants to have relationship with you through his word. We're going to continue on our series. Uh, if, if you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue with our series about the Lord's Prayer. And I trust that God will speak to you through his uh, words here that when Jesus taught us how to pray. If you've been with us for these past few weeks as we've gone through this section, uh, you've heard me say this, but I'll say it again. When the disciples asked Jesus, now this, is, this prayer is recorded twice, and I believe that these are two different occasions. One was the Sermon on the Mount, and another is what we call the Sermon on the Plains, where he spoke to his disciples. Sermon on the Mount was mostly the disciples, but there was a larger group there. And uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's been preaching a bunch of things, and he brings this up. In the other instance in the gospel, his disciples say, would you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples? And Jesus gives them a bit of a shortened version of this prayer. Jesus doesn't say, when you pray, pray these exact words. He says, when you pray, pray in this way. So I believe that the, this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer is not a uh, mantra. It's not a, it's not a you have to say these word for word every day. But it is uh, a key. It is a, a prayer that really every other prayer we pray can be found. The heart of it can be found in this prayer. Jesus taught us this is the way you should pray. That's why it's so big that that prayer doesn't start with king of kings. The prayer doesn't start with boss. The prayer doesn't start with, you know, Lord. Even though God is all those things and we should know him as all those things. And it's important that we talk to him as one, you know, that we, we refer to him that way. But this prayer begins with the same, the same way that Jesus began every prayer he prayed. Where at some point when he addressed God, this is the word he uses. Every single prayer he prayed, he uses this word, Father. This, this prayer cannot be understood if you don't understand you're a child of God. And, and, and I want to say, and, and if you were with us a few weeks ago when we talked about this, I know that sometimes we go, well, yeah, well, we're all the children of God because we're his creation. And that's true. In fact, Paul, you know, refers to that when he speaks to the Athenians that, that uh, we're all God's creation. But there's a different type of child that is spoken about in the Gospels. In John, it says, in John 1, to everyone who believed on his name, he gave the right to be called a child of God. That he said, uh, Jesus said, that uh, one of the things he was going to do was to bring many sons to glory. Well, it was said of Jesus that he would bring many sons to glory. In fact, the scripture tells us that on the cross, he reconciled the world to himself. So you are a child of God, but not in the basic, well, I'm created by God, therefore I'm, I'm a child of God in the same way that Microsoft is a child of Bill Gates. You are a child of God with inheritance. You are an heir. You are, in fact, Jesus is called the firstborn amongst many brethren. 
Firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. So Jesus did not bring you into a lower level of sonship or daughtership. He brought you into his level. He wants you to know the Father in the same way that he knows the Father. He wants you to be one with the Father in the same way that he's one with the Father. How do we know that? Because he said it flat out. He didn't try to hide it. There's a lot of stuff that Jesus said that was kind of hidden in riddles. But he made no bones about this. In fact, he prayed it to God in John 17, that they may be in you, one with you, in me, in you, just as I am in you and you're in me. He said, the love you gave me, I gave them. The word you gave me, I gave them. As you sent me, I sent them. You have the mission and the equipment that Jesus had on this earth. He's given to you. And so I want you to know that everything Jesus prays in this prayer is gigantic. It's massive, but it is possible through him. Amen. Amen? God never asked you to pray something that was not possible through him. But most of the things you will pray are impossible without him. Or else you wouldn't pray. You wouldn't need to pray. Just go do it. Sometimes we think that Jesus just prayed for our benefit, but you might forget. If you think that, you might forget that Jesus, the Bible says in the book of Luke, he often went away by himself to pray. Jesus needed to pray. Sometimes we just think he's praying out loud so we can listen in and go, oh, okay, that's what we do. But he actually needed to pray. And if the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if the Son of God needed to pray, don't you think you might need to pray as well? Right. Not as a religious exercise, not as a, uh, you know, some sort of uh, uh, just empty discipline, but rather as, as, a, as something powerful in your life that'll change you and it'll change the world around you. This is important. This is a kind of prayer that changes your heart forever. And this is the kind of prayer that changes the world forever. It's got really small micro effects and it's got really big macro effects if you read this prayer every single line that he says should be applied to you in your heart and should be applied to the world in a global sense and I think that's the way I should I I always pray and that's the way I I read the word of God how does this apply to me right here and then how does this apply to the world in a big sense so Jesus says this and we're going to read it together in Matthew chapter 6 Follow along with me. He says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to throw you off a little bit. Hopefully not so much that you check out for the rest of the service. But just a little bit. We're going to come back to the daily bread next week. So it's really, you know, if this messes you up, if you are just so like, oh, no, everything must be in order. If you have all your, if you separate all your red M&Ms <laughs> and you're looking at the podcast and it says, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, you will be done. And then it says, forgive us our debts and then give us our daily bread. And if that's going to mess you up, I can show you how to change that in your iPhone. I can show you how to, and we can all just do a time warp and pretend this never happened. But I wanted to tie into some things because of where God took us last week uh, with our guest speaker. I wanted to tie us into some different things uh, through that forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so we'll come back to Daily Bread next week, which is perfect right before Thanksgiving, isn't it? (laughs) There is nothing 
There is nothing daily bread about Thanksgiving. That is like yearly bread. <laughs> I want to focus on forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You may have learned this prayer in the classic King James, and it said transgressions as we forgive those who transgressed against us. It's a good word. But debts, I feel, is more faithful to the original Greek. And it carries some meaning to it that I think is important that you remember. Because transgression is not a word we use a lot. Transgression means, you know, you, you crossed the line, you did something you shouldn't do. But debt has a, it carries an additional meaning of, of you owing something to somebody. You, you might transgress. Listen, some of you, uh, you know, you, you went out of town this weekend or you're going out of town next week and you might go 10 kilometers over the speed limit. You transgressed the speed limit. You broke the law and you don't even feel bad about it, most of you. <laughs> but you did. But you don't feel like you owe anybody anything about it, right? You've, you've moved on. It's not really weighing on you. <laughs> I guarantee. I can see it in your eyes. You don't care. Because he got away with it, doesn't matter, right? But debts aren't like that. Somehow, in the word debt means that it's going to hang over your head. And it is that way with transgression. It is that way with sin. Sin is not something you can get away from by just forgetting about it. That trauma stays with you. That, that weight stays with you. That's why we needed a savior. Even the world that tells himself this isn't wrong, at some point they know it is. Even if they didn't know it, 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 you know, even if they didn't know it was wrong, it still is on their account, and they'll find out on the day of judgment that it, it indeed was wrong. So a savior came to not just cover our sin, but to take it away. One of the things that the John the Baptist yelled in his awkward. Outside voice, no matter if he was inside or outside, John the Baptist is the kind of guy that always uses the outside voice. <laughs> this is what happens when you grow up in the wilderness. You smell funny, you have bad manners, and you're loud all the time. He's unaware of social cues, let's just say that. It eventually cost him his head, right? Uh, but he's with his disciples, and Jesus is walking by, and it's after he's baptized Jesus. And his disciples, there are people that have been following John around, and John, whatever he's saying to them or whatever conversation they have, it, the Bible says he says with a loud voice. Now, you know his disciples are probably right there. <laughs> They're putting up with his locust and honey breath. And all of a sudden he yells, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The word behold means look at him. Don't look at me, look at him. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Nobody had ever thought of, uh, of Jesus being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And most people that taught about the Messiah did not teach he would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They taught that he'd be a great deliverer. He'd set us on the right path. But they were unaware of the biggest thing that he would do, which would be the sacrifice, the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrifices that he would not just atone, he would take away the sins of the world. That is dramatic. And that is the foundation of our gospel, our good news. If we don't preach that, nothing else we preach makes sense. 
If we can't preach redemption through the cross, if we can't preach the power of the blood of Jesus, if we can't preach the reality of the resurrection, our gospel has no hope. It has no hope attached to it. It has no life attached to it. We can teach people to live right, moral lives, but they'll never be able to. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that unless Jesus came, he said, he said the Old Testament sacrifices covered your sin for a while. They're like a junior high kid who sprays on the Axe body spray to cover up the B.O. because he didn't have time for a shower. You can cover up a smell with a stronger smell, but it didn't make the smell go away. Right? You parents say amen, you know it. You're in that transitional period where you're like, you have to shower every day. Not just hop in, hop out, you need to shower. Well, it doesn't take away the sin, it covers it. The book of Hebrews says the blood of bulls and goats and rams were covered for a time, the sin, but every year they'd have to go back and cover it again. Because it was never truly taken away. It said it was unable, it did not have the power to make the worshiper perfect in conscience. But it says now that Jesus came, we have been cleansed and we've been given a righteous conscience, clean and holy, so we can serve God with a good conscience. So you can't serve God until your conscience has become cleaned. You can't serve God in the fullness of how he wants you to serve if you are still carrying the weight of past sin. You have to let the blood of Jesus completely wash you clean. Everything we do begins from that place. That's the beginning point. So many of us are working. If we do enough for God, then we'll be pleasing to God. And if I do all of this right, then I'll be pleasing to God. And maybe we're hoping that in the sweet by and by, we'll get a high five from Jesus. But... You can't do anything for God until you've dealt with this. It starts with forgiveness. It starts with redemption. It starts with his blood, his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, and every good thing springs out of that like fruit from a tree. Right? A tree producing oranges does not make it an orange tree. It has to be an orange tree before it can produce oranges. Right? Jesus said an evil tree will produce evil fruit. A good tree will produce good fruit. If you are not good, you cannot produce good fruit. And let me tell you what Jesus said to those that said good teacher to him. He said, who are you calling good? No one is good but God alone. So you can't be good without him. So why do we expect good fruit from our life if we're not a good tree? An apple tree can't produce oranges. A fig tree cannot produce grapes. You have to be something before you can produce something. So you have to be righteous before you can produce righteousness. You have to be good before you can produce good. You say, well, how do I be good? I try to be good. Trying to be good will never be enough. It has to be a work of God. And that's what the cross and the resurrection has done for us. Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. There's some things he says in this prayer that sometimes we read it and we go, was he saying that God might not forgive? Or is he saying that God wouldn't do this? Or is he saying that God would lead us into temptation? But there's a lot of things that Jesus prays. Listen, Jesus didn't pray anything that wasn't already God's will. Right? He always prayed out the perfect will of God. So if he's praying it, it's already God's will for you. So... You know, if you think, and we'll get into this later, but if you think, 
Well, when Jesus said, don't lead us in temptation, is he saying God might? No. If, if, if it was God's will to lead you into temptation, which the Bible strictly says he doesn't do, in the book of James, it says he never tempts anybody with evil. But if it was God's will to do that, then Jesus would be going against the will of God to pray against it. He would never do that. I know I'm talking fast, trying to compress this. So when we're reading this, forgive us our debts, so we forgive our debtors. I believe those things go together. You know, Jesus said something to his disciples, freely you've received, now freely give. I think the reason a lot of us have never really been able to freely give is because we've never really learned how to freely receive. People who are never really able to let go of bitterness, never really able to let go of malice, a lot of it stems right back to the fact that you haven't really, you haven't really bought into the fact that God has freely and fully forgiven you. So as long as you don't think God has or should forgive you, sometimes we think we're holier, right? We think we're holier than God, and and somehow we're so good, and this is weird, we're so good that we know we're so bad and God can't forgive us, that we're the most special person on the planet. (laughs) God can forgive everybody but me, and here's why I don't deserve it, and you go to, and you think that's a martyr's cause. That's, That's not only idiocy, it's not only moronic, it is treasonous. It's rebellion against God. It's an insult to the grace of God. Get over yourself and realize that nobody here is bigger than the blood of Jesus. And no sin you could sin is bigger than his blood. So get over the arrogance and the pride that says I am the best sinner in the world. I'm the biggest sinner in the world. I'm the only one God couldn't fully cleanse and he shouldn't and it's my, I, I need to bear this. You need to get over it because you'll never do anything for God that's worth anything until you can freely receive. Once you freely receive, it's very easy to freely give. Very easy to freely give. So he says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and I think that word, like I said, if you look in the original language, debt is a good translation. It's, it's, it's a faithful translation to the original Sure enough, if you think hard enough, you can think of many times in your life where you've carried around an invisible account book of what was owed you. And I'm not talking about when you lent somebody something or you you gave somebody something. I'm talking about when someone has done you wrong and you put it on their account. And you put it on their account and maybe you did the Christian light version of forgiveness where we still come to church and smile at each other. Right? You call that forgiveness that I am not blasting them on social media. I'm not charging you. I'm not yelling at you. So I'll do the Christian thing and act like we're cool. That's not the Christian thing at all. What if, what if, what if, imagine this. What if God pretended that you were righteous, pretended you were clean, and then you showed up on the day of judgment and he goes, psych, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> to hell with you. <laughs> well, imagine he said that. <laughs> Nobody was ever saved by politeness. Right. Nobody was, do, would you, do you want to serve a passive aggressive God? I don't. <laughs> Nothing passive aggressive about him. So we do this 
Christian light thing, where we, the diet Christian thing, where we act like we're okay, but we've never resolved this. We've never dealt with the debt you still owe me. There's something, I put it on your account, and I'll never trust you the same way, I'll never think of you the same way. In fact, when I think of you, I have mixed feelings. If I can avoid you, I will. If I can't, well, it'll never go much deeper than the surface. You'll know how you feel about someone when you pray for them. Jesus said to pray for your enemies. Bless those that persecute you. What you define as blessing greatly depends on how you feel about that person. (laughs) Because people that persecute you, you try to live out that scripture and you end up blessing them with tornadoes or whatever you feel like. (laughs) Lord, I pray that you bless them with some real good hardship. Lord, bless them with that. Well, you would never pray that over yourself, but you, you have a hard time blessing someone else. When Jesus said to bless our, those that persecute us, it's a real problem for us Christians that actually believe in blessing, that believe there's power in blessing. If you believe that prayer is empty, if you believe that prayer is just an empty exercise, you don't mind saying things because you never mean them. But if you actually believe that your mouth has the power to give life, to actually bless, God gave you the ability to bless. Not to make someone feel better about sneezing. Like actually bless them. <laughs> Do you ever think about the fact that the words you say, when you bless someone with your mouth, it's bigger than... It's bigger than anything you could physically give them. I'm not saying use that as an excuse not to give them anything because James deals with that. But I am saying we undersell the power of a blessing. Esau was willing to kill over it. I mean, there, was, there were wars fought for blessing. When you believe what Jesus said about blessing those that persecute you, you'll know how you feel. You know where your heart is when you pray that particular prayer. There's no way to do this without him. Nobody in the world can forgive like this, and that's why they find it revolting and offensive. Just this last week, there was a judge. There was a a white police officer who came home to her home. Actually, she thought it was her home. She was so messed up, she went to someone else's house. and She shot an African-American man in his own home. She thought it was her home, and she thought he was a prowler. She went straight to her gun, shot the man. That's tragic. Tragic. Well, she, she broke the law. She was rightly sentenced. The judge was an African-American lady. Not that it mattered. She was a judge, but she got in real hot water this week because she went over to the, she went over to the family of the deceased and hugged them and loved them. And then she went over to the defendant. She'd already sentenced her. She gave her a fair sentence, as far as I know. And went over and hugged the defendant and gave her a Bible. I made people so mad, so angry. The atheists were angry that she gave someone a Bible. Everyone else was angry because she forgave this lady. Now, I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong for a judge to do and what's right or wrong for a courtroom, but I can tell you it's, that's not what angered people. What angered people is the fact that without Jesus, we're revolted by the idea 
of free forgiveness, of, of full forgiveness. We're revolted because we don't believe it for ourselves. We're revolted because somewhere there's a bitterness in us. We don't believe we're forgiven. Why should anyone else be forgiven? Think about how much heat this judge took just for being forgiving. No, listen, guys, she didn't let this lady off the hook. She didn't say you're not going to go to jail. This, this person had to pay the consequence for the crimes, but she just offered her some love. The world doesn't understand this. And because you're soaked in the world every day, this is why you need to have intimate fellowship with God so that you don't begin to think like everyone else thinks. Because it is all over. Some of the biggest hit TV shows right now are revenge. They're about revenge. They're about getting back at someone. It's that, it's that secret Wow, this is all about, this is going to be the fun part. Now I have power. Now I'm going to get my revenge. Can you imagine if that's what Jesus did when he was risen from the dead? What if he came back three days later and just brave-hearted everybody? <laughs> just went out on every single person who said crucify him. Instead... He tells his disciples to stay in the city that yelled for his crucifixion and start there with the offer of forgiveness. Saved 3,000 of them on day one, 5,000 a few days later. That's his revenge? It's to offer them the first chance at their forgiveness. And the people that yelled out, let his blood be on our head and on our kid's head. He has Peter stand up and say, the promise is for you and for your children. Wow. That's what Jesus does. Jesus was taken illegally, put into an illegal trial at night. It broke every law that the Romans and the Jews had. They did it at night because it was wrong. And they knew it was wrong. What they did with Herod, what they did with Pilate, they broke all the laws and all the rules, and the mob had their way. Jesus was beaten blindfolded, his beard was plucked out, he was whipped within inches of his life, ordered to be whipped by a man who considered him innocent, forced to carry a heavy cross up a hill where he would later be executed. And once he's on the cross bearing all of this pain and if the physical pain weren't enough, the weight of the sin of the world being so much worse than anything physical he had, resting on him. If that's not enough, the people that put him there are mocking him while he's there. When he says, I'm thirsty, they give him vinegar to drink. They weren't aware that there was prophetic implications in that. They just did it to be cruel and sadistic. And yet, right before he dies, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It's one thing to forgive somebody and say, I'm not going to hold it against you, but to intercede and ask God not to hold it against them? That's next level. You know, some of us, we forgive someone with the hopes that God won't forget. <laughs> Leave, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Leave room for the wrath of God. <laughs> I forgive you. Sleep well tonight. I'm not coming after you, but I know a big man with big angels who might, so check your tires. 
if golf, ball, softball, hailstones fall on your truck, wasn't me, it's the wrath of God. So we're kind of hoping he'll settle the score. But that's forgetting what was done for you. Peter said, when you forget these things, you're short-sighted, forgetting your purification from sin. Sometimes we forget what was owed us. We get so caught up on what's owed us by you or you or you that we forget what's really owed us, that Jesus forgave. We were owed death. We were owed death. One day the, the, the disciples came to Jesus and said, did you hear about that tower that fell on those people at Tyre and Sidon? Did you hear about that tower, or that tower over there that, that fell on those people? What did they do to have a tower fall on them? And Jesus basically said, you guys are all lucky you're not dead. You should all thank God you're not dead. The miracle is not that they died. The miracle is that you survived. David said, it's by your mercy we're not all consumed. When you begin to understand that we all stood guilty before a God who is a God of justice, then you begin to understand how great the debt was that you owed. And you begin to, when you really get it, get the mercy that was shown to you, you have a larger capacity for mercy for others. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. When Jesus took over your accounts payable, he also took over your accounts receivable. And whatever you owed him, he also took whatever was owed you. And you have to be willing to give that. And it's, it's, not only, it's not only right, it's also good for you. Amen? It is good, you know, uh, it is good for somebody to begin to just, just fully believe. If you fully believe in the power of the cross and the resurrection, then forgiveness is not a bad job. It's not a hard task. It's a joy. Jesus gave you the authority to loose somebody from sin. He gave you the authority of saying, you, I'm not going to hold this over you, and, and heaven won't hold this over you. What a powerful thing. Jesus told a parable in the book of Matthew. And I'll just, for the sake of time, I'll, I'll sum it up. But you can go back and read it for yourself. Jesus told this parable about a man. He was a servant who owed a great deal of money that he would never be able to pay back to his master. He never would be able to afford it. It was not something uh, that, that was in his ability. Matthew chapter 18. Uh, by our own standards of, of economics, this was an astronomical amount you would never make this, enough, this much money. I don't know how he racked up the debt, but he's never going to be able to pay it back. Jesus said the master calls him in and says, you owe me this much money. Can you pay it back? And the man says, no, I, I can't pay it back. I'll never be able to pay it back. And he says, okay, well, you're going to go into indentured servanthood where you are going to be basically, I'm going to sell you into indentured servanthood where you have to work your debt off, but you never will work it off. The man says, please don't, please don't, please don't. And it says, the master has compassion for this man. And he says, okay, I'm going to wipe it clean. And the man feels like a thousand pounds have been lifted off his shoulders. He goes, you know, because this has been weighing on him for, for well, I can imagine, all his life. It's the kind of debt that I don't know if a man could rack up in one lifetime. And he, he had it racked up. And all of a sudden, it's gone. Can you imagine that feeling? Many of you can and the first thing he does is not do like Scrooge on Christmas morning, 
Merry Christmas, Tiny Tim. Merry Christmas. You know, he doesn't go and bless everybody around him. He goes and he shakes down this man who owes him a few bucks. He grabs and says, pay me back what you owe. Now, that, does that sound ridiculous to you? It should. It should. That's why Jesus told it. He wants you to see how ridiculous it is for you to hold unforgiveness when you've been so greatly forgiven. Shakes down this man and says, if you don't pay me, I'm throwing you into debtor's prison. The man says, I can't do it. So he has him thrown into debtor's prison and his master finds out about it, calls him back in and says, hey, 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 aren't you the guy I just forgave a massive debt? He goes, yeah, that was me. Thank you, by the way. So what were you doing shaking down this other guy? Well, he owed me money. And the guy just, you know, the master just goes, goes all out on him, says, what right do you have? Who do you think you are? I forgave you this much, and you go and you shake down someone else for a little bit that they owed you? We think it's ridiculous, but we do it constantly. Mm-hmm. You know? If you were to see what you owe Jesus, there's nobody on the planet that will ever owe you that much. Not even a fraction, not even a small percentage. No one will ever come close to owing what you owe God. And yet, he forgave it. Now, listen, there's something in us that feels uneasy with injustice because God is a God of justice. Now, can you you imagine a world where people could commit murders, steal, and there'd never be any punishment for it? That's not good, would it? What about a judge who just says, yeah, I don't care. He constantly has criminals hauled in front of him and he goes, nah, yeah, you guys are are fine, I don't care. Would we feel good about that? So there's something in us that goes, how can God suddenly be okay with all this? And I want to tell you, he's not. Your sin did not go unpunished. Jesus was punished. Jesus bore the penalty. Jesus took the full brunt of it. So it's not like God woke up one morning and said, feels about AD 33. All right, sin's fine now. I'm a happy God now. You know, Old Testament me, it was a rough morning. But I've had my coffee. I feel better about stuff. Everything's fine. God didn't change justice. He's not... He's not suddenly going against his own law. The justice was fulfilled. Jesus paid the price. So it's not like the reality changed. It's not like God changed. It's that Jesus paid it for you. And now, guys, now, justice is still being done. But it's not yours. You don't own it. Salvation belongs to our God. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you. You've got to let it go. You've got to not let it go in a passive-aggressive Christian diet way where you just pretend things are fine. You have to deal with this. There was a woman last week that came up to me in Loon Lake. She goes, just started going to our church in Loon Lake, and she came up to me after a service and said, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. She said, you said something last week that made me want to hop over the chairs and run out the church. I don't like those conversations. I, <laughs> I'd rather avoid that. 
okay, what I say, you know? <laughs> she came back, so I thought maybe it wasn't that bad. I don't know, what did I say? She said, we were about to take communion. You held that bread in your hand. We all had bread in our hand. You said if there's anything you're holding against someone you haven't released, release it now at the foot of the cross. She said, I couldn't do it. So I left. I didn't notice she left. I was wondering where this conversation was going to go. She pulled out that bread from her coat and said, I kept it. And I'm ready right now to take this bread. Because I've released it. And I'm releasing it right now in Jesus' name. We took communion at that moment. Prayed that her heart would be restored. She had been wrong. There had been something dramatic that had happened. She took that communion so seriously. She held on to that bread all week. That's so powerful. So powerful because what she was holding on to was Jesus died for me. What she couldn't let go of was Jesus died for me. That we looked at him and we considered him stricken by God, but it was my sin that he was bruised for. It was my transgression he was whipped for. It was my wounds that he bore stripes for, and I'm healed because of him. I pray that we'd all take the cross and the resurrection that seriously. Jesus says this all over the place. In fact, it was quoted last week, but I'll say it again. In Matthew 11, or Mark 11, when he says, you know, if you have faith to move a mountain, say to that mountain, be cast into the sea. You believe in your heart. You don't doubt. It will be done. Whatever you've asked will be done by my Father who's in heaven. Just as you say. Then he says, and when you stand praying, forgive. When you stand praying, every time you pray, forgive. Every time you pray, forgive. Every time. Your relationship with God is dependent on what Jesus did for you. That's why you have a relationship with God. That's why you're reconciled to God. That's why you can freely come into his presence and not die is because of the blood of Jesus. So how can I stand here by the blood of Jesus and deny the blood of Jesus at the same time? I can't live that hypocritical life. Neither can you. And when I stand praying, what a great opportunity to say, have I forgiven as I've been forgiven? You know, I, 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 I'm troubled by the amount of Christians I meet that so cavalierly just, when you bring up something Jesus said, they kind of shrug it off like that was wimpy. There's nothing about Jesus that was wimpy. Nobody that I know would be able to bear what he bore. People shrug it off like, well, that's just Jesus. He said crazy things. Who are you following? Are you a Christian because it's a good tribe to be a part of? Or are we followers of Jesus? And if we're followers of Jesus, I don't think you can be a follower of Jesus and keep some throughout others. I think you've got to follow him. I think this whole thing's a package. Now, none of us have perfectly done it yet. And we're, we're, we've, we've followed him in flawed ways, and we followed him in ways that we haven't got everything right all at once, yet he receives us and he accepts us, and we're being transformed and changed from glory to glory. But there's a difference between saying, I'm not there yet, I'm not perfect yet, but God's working on me. 
There's a difference between that and saying, I won't do it. I won't. The Bible talks about the difference between ignorant sin and willful sin. And I would encourage you not to harden your heart because the problem is, is if you harden your heart in one small area, you think it'll stay localized, but it is a cancer that will spread to the rest of your heart. You can't deny your Savior in one part of yourself and accept him in another. You must say, no, Lord, I freely forgive you. I'm not talking about your eternal salvation here, but I am talking about your relationship with Jesus, and you have to follow. You have to say, Lord, I may not be perfect yet. Lord, I I haven't been able to do it all yet. I can do nothing without you. You're going to have to help me, but I am at least saying yes. I am saying yes. I want to read you something from the book of Ephesians. It's always huge to me. I prayed when I was praying for this service. I, I had this sense, Lord, never let this, and I, I pray this, this is really my heart for every sermon I ever preach, but really with this one. Lord, I don't want this to be an information service. I don't want this to be one more piece of teaching that you go home and go, I think I learned something. I want this to be transformative for you. I want you to know you have been given power to forgive. See, so often we see the obligation to forgive, the command to forgive. We forget we've got the power to forgive. Jesus, when he commands, there's grace with it. There's power with it. There's nothing he tells you to do that he hasn't empowered you to do. So because of your release from sin, you have been empowered to release others. Book of Ephesians says this, and how can you read it any other way? How could you read it any other way? You say, well, the Greek will save me. I'll go back to the Greek. It probably says something different in the Greek. Nope. What about the message? Could I read it in the message and it's softer? Nope. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness. You know, the word bitterness, we just think of as uh, bad feeling, bad taste in your mouth. But you know, in the scripture, uh, in fact, in Hebrews, when it talks about the bitterness, that uh, be careful that a root of bitterness does not spring up anyone like it did in Esau. It's actually a word, poison. When the water was bitter, it was not just bad tasting, it was poisonous. It's a poison root. And it says if it springs up in you, it will defile many. Be careful, he says. And he doesn't say this to you personally. So So many times we just read the Bible in a very personal way. But so many times the Bible is meant to be read and practiced in community. He says, take care that this doesn't spring up in any of you. So this is not just about you taking care of yourself. This is about you taking care of one another and saying, I've noticed every time we talk, this comes up. And this is an awkward thing for me to bring up. But I think you need healing in this area. And I'm willing to stand with you and pray with you that you would be healed in this area. Because if we let this keep going, it'll get out of control. Let's get it now. The scripture is meant for community. Well, thank God you can practice it on your own, but it is really not designed, just as you're not designed to live by yourself. If you were designed to live by yourself, you'd be the body of Christ, but you are a part of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 says this, lay aside all, 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 all bitterness. Let all bitterness and wrath. Now, what is wrath? Wrath is not just really, wrath is not anger, anger with an exclamation point. Wrath involves judgment. 
right? So we talk about the wrath of God. It's not that God lost his temper. The wrath of God is a just response to sin. But he has the right to it. You don't. And the wrath that we're talking about is you taking back justice on yourself. You taking it on and saying, I, I've got the right to hold this against them. I've got the right to be judge, jury, and executioner. And you don't. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. Everybody got rid of their clamor? Did you bring any clap? Did you sneak clamor in your pocket? You don't know what clamor is, do you? <laughs> don't let yourself get riled up by what other people do. Anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That's about every angle of anger I can think of right there. About every angle of, of bitterness I can think of is described there. If you were trying to find a way around it, the Apostle Paul just wrote you a nice little wall that you can't get through. I used to have a friend in school that loved righteous anger. He was a bully. <laughs> he was a bully that bullied everybody, but he just waited for someone to bother the, the disabled kid. If they looked at him the wrong way. Hey, you're looking at this guy! You know, and he'd said his name. I'm going to change the disabled kid's name. I'm going to call him. And his identity wasn't disabled kid, okay? He had a lot of other things going on for him. But just for your sake and to kind of protect his identity, let's call him Jim. It wasn't Jim. Let's call him Jim. This bully would say, are you, are you bothering Jim? You know, and he just he got so excited when someone bugged Jim because it gave him a righteous reason to beat somebody up. You know, he was just a bully who wanted to feel good about being a bully. There's something in us that feels good when someone gets theirs. You ever watch the YouTube videos that are instant karma videos? I don't believe in karma, but have you seen the instant karma YouTube videos? When someone does something stupid in traffic and then they run into a cone right after, a police car pulls them over right after, there is a feeling. It's, uh, your brain gives you all the right chemicals when you see it. <laughs> that guy got what's coming to him. He passed somebody on the right, and then, and then he smashed into a pole. I love it. Justice. What we really like is seeing bad things happen to people but feeling not so guilty about it. You probably need to deal with that. Put all this stuff away from you. Put it away from you. Put it away. Action. You've you got to do this. This stuff's just not going to melt off of you like, like butter on a hot day. You have to choose this. You have to, you may have to, what does it mean for you to put it away? Well, in every, in every thought and every decision, every day, you're going to have to make that choice. And you're going to maybe have to have some conversations about it and talk to Jesus and maybe talk to the person that you're so bothered by. And do it in a way that doesn't immediately put the weight of the world on them. Do it in grace. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. I think about this word tenderhearted a lot. Because it's dangerous to live tenderhearted. A tenderhearted person can get hurt very easily. And yet he commands us to be tenderhearted. The world does not produce tenderhearted people. The world produces hard hearts. Yeah. You ever thought about the fact that we say life happened and it's never good? 
I was a happy person, then life happened. Why does life get such a bad rap? Life is a good thing. But the world will make you bitter and angry and hardened. You have to choose to be tenderhearted. Now, everything you choose, you can't do by yourself, but you choose to let God do it in you. Forgiving each other just as God in the exact same way. Oh, I wish you hadn't said that. If you just said forgive each other, I could have made my own rules, but you said as just in the same way God did in Christ. Oh, I could have put limits on it. I could have put, I could have put a maximum amount, like a credit card that's just gone too far. You know, you, oh, you can't tap that card over $100. I could have put a limit on my forgiveness until you said, just like God forgave you. Now, I, this is where the power to forgive comes from. The power to forgive doesn't come from trying harder to forgive. The power to forgive comes from looking at Jesus. Oh, it comes from looking to Jesus. He says, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. In the same way that God did it through Christ, you do it to each other. The next verse says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And that's a big deal. Because you are not imitating God as a cheap impressionist. You are imitating him as someone who is carries his nature and his DNA, carries his character, who carries his power. I want to close with a true story from the Bible. How many of you know who the first martyr was? The first person to die for Jesus, besides Jesus himself. It's not a trick question. Stephen. Stephen. First person to die for Jesus was a man named Stephen. Stephen was not an apostle. He wasn't a minister by any classic definition. He was a minister like you all are ministers. Stephen was accused of, because he had been going into his synagogue preaching Jesus as the fulfillment. And he was called in, in front of the high priests and the Sanhedrin. He was called in front of the, the rulers of the Jewish faith and charged with blaspheming Moses and blaspheming the temple, which are two of the worst things you could do. He gave his defense and he preached this powerful message showing that throughout history, God was not restrained and held in just a temple and that people wanted to kill Moses when Moses was around and they wanted to kill every prophet when they were around and they liked them later. He was showing them their own hypocrisy. But he was also showing them the good news of the gospel. When he got to the end of his message, they became so angry that they decided to kill him right on the spot. Something happened when they decided to kill him. He looked up and he saw Jesus. He saw the heavens opened up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Anybody who's studied your theology will know that Jesus, his place at the right hand of God is to be seated. And yet something made Jesus stand up. Something got Jesus out of his seat. Somebody got a standing ovation from the King of Kings. He looked up and he saw Jesus. They dragged him. 
to a hill, took a cliff, threw him over the side. Outside the city, and began to throw rocks at his head with the intention of killing him. He's still looking at Jesus. And he says, Lord, receive my spirit. Then he does something dramatic. He rolls over and somehow finds the strength to get onto his knees. And he begins to pray. He says, Father, don't hold this sin on their account. Don't put this on their account. Maybe you have the strength to say that a week after someone does something, but to do it in the moment is only a work of God. After he says that, the Bible says he falls asleep. He falls asleep because he's dead, but none of us are really going to die. It's temporary. It was that day that a great persecution took place. One of the men who stood over Stephen as he prayed that prayer, in fact, they may have made eye contact because one of the closest people to him at the moment was a man named Saul who was holding everyone's coat, giving hearty agreement. It wasn't, he wasn't the servant who was holding everybody's coat. He was one of the ringleaders, and he became the guy that carried out the persecution of the Christian church. We find out later that the reason he was so passionately persecuting the church was because the Holy Spirit hadn't stopped bugging him from that message. And Jesus said to him, it's been hard hard for you to kick against my poking, but I've been poking you since my servant Stephen preached that message. He, he couldn't get rid of that feeling. And the only way he could think of to do it was to kill the people that made him feel guilty. And he said, I'm doing it for God. But you know, Paul said on me Above everyone, on me, God showed the most mercy. He says, on me, God showed, used me as a demonstration of his great love and compassion. He says, on me, I was the chief of sinners. I persecuted the church, but he used me to show how merciful he could be. And sometimes we forget the power of that prayer that Stephen prayed. Stephen did not ask for revenge or even justice. He said, don't hold this against them. Don't hold this to their account. Do you figure that God answered that prayer? Do you, can you make a connection from that prayer to the New Testament we hold today being written by that man? Saul of Tarsus, who we know now as Paul. Do you make a connection from that prayer to most of the known world being evangelized? And the gospel being preached to the Gentiles. And it began with a man who was getting his brains bashed out by rocks and rolled to his knees and said, Lord, don't put it on his account. Now you can just say, he just said that to the wind. He just said that to look holy. He just said that so we know it's a nice thing to pray. Or you can believe that there was power in that prayer. And that it had something to do with that day that Paul was knocked down onto the ground, but was not killed. He should have been killed. But Jesus spared him. He said, now you work for me, buddy. Later, when Ananias had to bring him, we know him now as Barnabas, or not Ananias, sorry. Yeah, we know him now as Barnabas. Barnabas brought him before the rest of the disciples. Nobody trusted this guy. Barnabas vouched for him and said, you know what? He's good with us. And if the apostles hadn't received this man, if the disciples hadn't let him go to church, what would we have for Christianity today? What would we have in our Bible today? 
History was changed because somebody looked at Jesus and took their cue from him. So I'm going to give you this final word and then we're going to pray. The only way you're going to walk in complete forgiveness and release the debts that you've been hanging on to is to look at Jesus. The Bible says, Stephen, right before he did that, he says, it says right when they're trying to kill him, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit and he looked up in heaven and saw Jesus. When you're full of the Spirit and when you're looking at Jesus, forgiveness is not only possible, it's, the, it's, it's what you want to do. But without the Spirit, without your eyes on Jesus, you'll never want to do it and you'll never be able to do it. So I'm going to ask you today not to go home and say, I learned some new things. I'm going to ask you today not to go home and say, that was a nice message. I'm going to ask you today to do an inventory of your heart. In fact, let God do the inventory. Not, not as a counting of debts again. Remember, that's the whole point. But may this be a releasing morning for you. In fact, I want you to bow your heads with me right now. Jesus gave you all authority to release debt, to release, remit the sin of others that it may be remitted in heaven. We're going to take an opportunity. I can't read your heart and I can't read your mind. This is not something that I really, that we need to, you know, Prove that you did it or prove that you didn't. This is about you. This is about Jesus. But I want us to let the power of God open your eyes to Jesus. Open your eyes to how much you've been forgiven. And the first thing I want you to do is to begin to freely receive. Can we do that? Can we freely receive? If there's anybody in this room today that has not freely received forgiveness, if you still carry the guilt and the shame of past sin, of past transgression, and you have not allowed yourself to believe that you're released, we're going to deal with this first. If you are still carrying weight on yourself, if, you, if I were to say to you today, God is delighted by you. If that statement bothers you, I want you to know it shouldn't bother you. Because the Bible says he, he does have delight in you. But the reason it bothers you is because you still don't think he should be delighted. You haven't really bought into the power of the blood of Jesus. If I were to say to you today that God loves you as much as he loved Jesus, the Father loves you as much as he loved Jesus. He loves you just as much. He is just as pleased. If that's a hard thing for you to believe, let me ask you why. <clears throat> Do you know the Father said to Jesus, you are, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, before Jesus started his ministry, before he did any miracles, before he taught any good or preached any good messages, before he went to the cross, he was already pleasing because he was his Son. Can you believe that? Father, in the name of Jesus, may your forgiveness wash over your people. 
May they believe that in true repentance, as we've turned to you and turned away from idols and turned away from sin, we couldn't do that on our own. It is only by the blood of Jesus that we are washed. It is only by the cross and the resurrection that we have hope. Be released right now from guilt. Be released right now from shame. Be released right now from condemnation. For there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, Lord, we release to you every debt we've held. Every account we've made marks on. Every recorded wrong we've kept on people. Lord, you know the ones. We smile at them. We may be polite to them, but we don't really trust them anymore. We don't, our hearts aren't open to them anymore. We don't love them fully. Now, Lord, I pray that your power would open up our hearts again. And we release them right now in the name of Jesus. We release it. We release that debt. Here's what I want you to do. The Bible says that God has removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. It says your sins and your lawless deeds, he will remember no more. He will never bring them up again. They are not on your record. So I'm going to, you don't, if you're, if you're able to do this, if you're ready to do this, because everybody's able through Jesus. If you're ready to do this, but what I want you to know is this is a serious deal. Once you say this, you are not going to be able to go back and pick this up again. Once you release them, it's going to be as far from them as the east is from the west. You'll remember it no more. You'll not bring it up again. It won't come up again. So if you, if you say, I, I'm not there yet, then, then let God work on you. Like our sister who I talked about earlier, who God worked on her all week. But oh, wouldn't it be wonderful just to, this morning, just let it look, let it go. So we release it right now in the name of Jesus. It is no longer over their head. It is no longer over our head. In the name of Jesus, we let it go. We let it go. I want you to begin to pray. Now, you don't have to do it now, but this week, begin to pray for those that have hurt you. You know, I, I know that sometimes healing of a heart is, happens in layers. So there's layer one that's dealt with right now, but I believe that there's going to be multiple layers. And one of the best ways to see that healing work in your life is to begin to do what Jesus said, pray for people. Pray for them. Pray for them. Bless them. Because in the act of releasing your blessing over them, in the act of holding them up before the Father, your heart will be healed. Your heart will be healed as you pray for their heart to be healed. Then I want you to do something else. David said, find me, find me a descendant of my friend Jonathan that I might do some good for him. I want you to pray about how you can be a blessing to that person. Maybe it's just prayer. Maybe it's just kind words. Maybe you need to give them something. Now, don't get suspicious when someone gives you a gift this week. 
Maybe you need to do something for them. I don't know. But I'm just asking you to open your heart to the idea. Maybe there's a conversation that needs to take place. We're so intent on avoiding awkward conversations that true healing doesn't take place. The bones get set funny. And we think they're healed, but we never able to, we don't have the same function. Do you know the Bible says that the body grows by what every joint supplies? Sometimes there's broken bodies that can't work, they don't work properly because they, the joints were never set right. I'll say something that's a bit uncomfortable. Sometimes you almost need to break something again so they can be set right. Now, I'm not saying God's going to break your bones, but I'm saying you may have to have a conversation when everything already seems fine. We'll let God tell you to do that. I'm going to tell you, yeah, come on, we're, we're all getting real heavy in this moment, but let God talk to you. And just be open. You know what? There's times people have come to me and said, I had a problem with something you said. And I go, what? I don't remember this. And I'm like, why would you have to bring it up? I thought we were over this. So have some grace for one another. Yeah. You know, no, don't bring up every petty little thing. But also have grace for those people that are still working through things. Yeah. And don't take it personally. Yeah. Most of the problems we have with each other have nothing to do with you. They're mostly happening in our own hearts and our own minds. And sometimes most of the things that go wrong in a church is just people misunderstanding each other. Yeah. And if we just talk... We'd avoid a lot of the issues. Praise the Lord. Let's stand up. Let's just bless God together.